are you guys good? Five people? <laughs> yeah, awesome, guys. Um, we are excited to continue our series in the Psalms. Um, for those of you who haven't been here the whole series, just a little bit of a recap in how we're approaching the Psalms. Uh, so the first half of the Psalms, uh, like we're not going through chronologically. We, uh, Pastor Sam started us off going through each um, type of Psalm. So the different types of Psalms. Because the Psalms is one of those books that is highly underrated, right? It's in devotionals, but little time do we sit down and like study it like we would like the book of Romans or the book of 1 Corinthians, right? We like which there's nothing wrong with using the Psalms as devotionals, but there is so much packed in the Psalms that I think we do a disservice, not only to ourselves, but we kind of undercut what God has done in history and what, the way that it's communicated in the Psalms. And so the first half of the series was going through the different types. What is a lament? What does it mean to lament? And how do you praise God in lamenting? How do you praise God out of grieving? Uh, how do you praise God when you don't feel thankful? And how do you praise God when everything is going good and all things are okay and God has blessed you? All of that is learned in the Psalms and the different types that we went through. The second half of the series, which Pastor Sam started uh, last week, which pray for Pastor Sam. He's in the Dominican Republic right now. He's pastoring a bunch of nurses and doctors who are serving people there in the villages. So think about him, pray for him. But last week, he started us in the second half, which is we are going to unpack a lot of the theology that the Bible gives to us from the Psalms. Because what we find is it's very comprehensive. There's so much that we learn about God and who he's called us to be and who he calls himself to be from the Psalms. And what we find is it's actually communicated almost in a simpler way than that of a book like Romans, where it's very dense and it's very, like, there's a lot of words, big words. And, like, Paul is, he's really, really smart. And, and there's just a lot going on, a lot of history. So with the Psalms, them being songs and hymns, it's communicated in a way that's a little bit simpler. But it's not any less rich. And so uh, last week he talked about sin and the doctrine of sin. And this universal problem that we have in the world which is the root of all of the bad that we see in our world, is this, this sin, the sin that is permeating through us, that permeates through the rest of mankind. And God wants us to deal with this with the way that he has called us to deal with it by his son Jesus and through repentance, and Sam talked about that. But kind of like a really good series, it's kind of left off on a cliffhanger. So today, we're going to be unpacking, all right, what's the hope? All right, like universal problems, sin, okay, like you can't earn salvation, you can't do anything, all right, we got to lean on Jesus. Like what's the hope? How do, we, how do we unpack this? And the Psalms is very, very comprehensive in its approach to the salvation of God. And so we're going to talk about salvation today through the Psalms. So it's going to be really fun. It's going to be great. Uh, but join me in prayer before we begin. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for the privilege to learn from you. Thank you, Jesus, 
that you came and died and resurrected and you, you made it possible for us to know God face to face. And we just pray that in this time, Lord, that you would teach us Holy Spirit. Help us to be open to what you bless us with in your salvation and what you are providing for us in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir us up to reminder today for those who maybe are feeling very dry or distant from God, maybe feeling like, I don't know if the salvation stuff is actually working, right? I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven, but I don't know what it's like right now. Lord, would you encourage that person? And for those of us who maybe don't really believe this stuff and are not convinced that Jesus can provide solid salvation for eternity and now, God, would you move on our hearts to believe your gospel? And so we ask all of this in your mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be jumping around a little bit in the Psalms. Again, we're not going through it chronologically. We're going to jump around, kind of pull out some themes that we see in the whole book of Psalms. Um, but our primary text is going to be Psalm 103. So if you have your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of your seat. If you don't know where Psalms is, just cut the Bible right in half. You'll probably actually end up on Psalm 103, maybe, if you're lucky. <laughs> so we're going to be in Psalm 103. That's going to be the primary text that we're going to read together. And it, what we're going to do is we are going to draw out three things that the psalmist is talking about in regards to salvation. And then we're going to unpack those three things, what they mean, and how the psalms communicates those things. Because I think, what, I think what we're going to find is we're going to find some really cool like illustrations with the way the psalmists talk about these things about salvation that give a very vivid picture to some of the things that we've heard in church a long time. Right? We kind of throw out terms, and it's almost like Christian lingo. <laughs> Right? I don't know. Like, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't grow up Christian. So, like, when I first came to church and everybody's like, you're washed in the blood of Jesus, I was like, bro, what? Like, that's weird. Or, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, we say these things which are true, but they almost become like Christian lingo. And so, we gotta, like, unpack them again and again and again to understand what are we actually saying? What do we mean by this stuff? Right? So, Psalm 103. Before we read it, I, I kind of want to quote C.H. Spurgeon, which to me, personal opinion, probably one of the best preachers uh, who has ever set foot in a pulpit. Um, he said this about Psalm 103. He said, as in the lofty Alps, some peaks rise above all others. So among even the inspired Psalms, there are heights of song which overtop the rest. Psalm 103 has ever seemed to us to be the Monte Rosa of the divine chain of mountains of praise, glowing with the ruddier light than any of the rest. That is a beautiful way to talk about Psalm 103. And really what he's getting at is that this psalm is filled, filled with beauty. And so we're going to read it together today. If you want, you can stand with me. Uh, if not, that's okay. I'll be the only one. <laughs> Psalm 103. <clears throat> Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the word, obey the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All right, you guys can sit down. <laughs> I won't make you stand the whole time. <clears throat> so, again, Psalm 103, filled with beauty. Filled with beauty. So, the way that, so the person who wrote this psalm is David. If you don't know who David is, King David, uh, shepherd boy made king because of God, right? Like we read about him in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. You know, you can read his whole story. It's beautiful. David writes most of the psalms, but he's not the only writer. Uh, a guy named Asaph writes some of the psalms. Moses even wrote some of the psalms. But for this psalm, David wrote this psalm and he is, the way he's starting it, I think uh, we need to pay attention to. I think there's, there's something with the way that he starts the psalm that we should take note of. Uh, because how does he start it? He starts it uh, very, almost a, little, almost a little weird. You'll see, bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. And he's talking to who? His soul, himself. He's talking to himself, right? So if you think talking to yourself is weird, the Bible will disagree with you, right? Sometimes we need to talk to ourselves. I'll say it this way. We need to sometimes preach to ourselves. Like our hearts, and what David is finding is that our heart, his heart, he sees a forgetfulness. He sees a, a tendency in himself to forget these beautiful things of the Lord. And, and it's not because David is like, you know, David is no different than us. Like, we're all human. And so as a human with imperfection 
And as a human with a nature that is kind of embedded in us from birth, called sin, a sinful nature, we have a tendency to just wander, right? We're given beautiful things, maybe even blessed with things, maybe blessed with a really good life. Maybe we haven't gone through certain things that other people have. And maybe like God has been really, really good to us. And yet it's easy for us going through life to almost just wander off from those things and not even really think about it, right? It's almost like someone handing you a new house, 500, 600, 000, million dollar house, someone hands it to you and says, you don't have to pay a dime. Beautiful, furnished, you don't have to buy any furniture. And we're like, oh, this is awesome, this is great, like I'm gonna take the best care of this. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna buy those like weird, you know, plastic sheets for the couch. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, at grandma's house, right? <laughs> And because no, it doesn't, you can't get it dirty, right? We're gonna do that and we're gonna like take, take your shoes off at the door. Don't, you know what I mean? Like that's how we are initially, especially with given all this stuff. But what happens after some time? We get comfortable. We don't necessarily need that on the couch, right? That's all right. We can walk around with the shoes on, that's all right. That pump that needs to be fixed, eh, that's all right. We'll figure it out, <laughs> right? Like, we let things just kind of go, go their way and kind of just like we don't tend to it in the same way as we did at first. And I think sometimes this is how it is with our relationship with God. We come into it very, very excited and very, very joyful and very, very ready to give God everything and to treat his promises with the utmost care and love. But after time, things start hitting our life or naturally life just kind of runs down our life, our perspective, or whatever, and naturally we just start to kind of ignore some of the things that God has given to us, not because we don't like it, but because there's other things that need to be done, right? And you get really busy, and then, so we have this tendency, and David is noticing this tendency in himself, and so what's David's response? He takes the initiative and he takes this very intentional approach of reminding himself of what God has given to him. He said, do not forget the benefits of him. Soul, Mario, us, do not forget the benefits of, the, of God. And then what he starts to do is he starts to recount those benefits. And he starts to, the reason why this psalm is so beautiful is because he's talking about all of the benefits that come with the salvation of God. So, the first thing I told you before, we're gonna draw out three elements, three benefits that I think are really, really prominent in this psalm, that we really see in the psalms, and all throughout all of scripture when it's talking about the salvation of God. The first one that he kind of, right out the gate mentions, is forgiveness. Forgiveness, what does he say? Verse three, he forgives how much of your iniquity? of your iniquity. Verse 10, he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins. How do you measure the east from the west? You don't, exactly, you don't. What the psalmist is communicating with these very vivid pictures is that God's forgiveness is immense. It cannot be measured. 
God's forgiveness, or what we'll read later on in the sermon, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul uses a word called lavish. God lavishes us with forgiveness, meaning he outpours it in abundance, right? And he doesn't have an end. He's a well that does not have an end. He is eternal. And so when David is reminding himself of God's forgiveness, why do you think David will have to do something like this? Why? Because we have an enemy who probably tells us you're not forgiven, right? Because we get into sin and we forget the things of the Lord or we take things for granted or whatever the case, right? We're human. We do all these things and we have an accuser who will tell you to your face God's forgiveness has run out. Not this time. Not for you. And so David is like, soul, you got to remember. you got to remember. He forgives all your iniquity. Not 20, not 30, not 500, not 600, all. Past, present, future. So this is uh, prominent in the Psalms. And we're not going to go through all, all of the passages that talk about the forgiveness. You know, the idea here is to get an idea of the way that Psalms communicates these things. So Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Psalm 51, one of the most famous passages, one of the most famous psalms about David after he slept with another man's wife and then to cover up that sin, got the man murdered who was one of his best men in his army, right? Writes this psalm as almost this repentance to God. And he starts it off, he says, have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Remember that phrase, blot out. Isaiah 43, 25, I know it's not a psalm, but I think it's important because we need to understand that it is God who is the one who's doing the forgiving. Sin is to God, so God must be the one who forgives. Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he, says the Lord, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins anymore. God is speaking to people who have abandoned him, made little of his commandments, and sought after other gods. And because of that, the kingdom of Assyria is taking the kingdom of Israel and taking people captive. God is allowing it in judgment. And then yet, he says this. He says, I'm not going to remember your sins anymore. I'm going to blot them out. And so the way that Psalms talks about the forgiveness of God is this very vivid way. He uses words like blot out or cast away. The east, like from the east is from the west, I will cast away or will not remember. You think God is going to actually like literally forget? Like, like he's, he's communicating in a way that we would understand like, I'm not going to count your sins against you so far, like as if you didn't do anything wrong to me. That's, that's the level of forgiveness that I'm going to give to you. And this is important. 
for us as humans, for you, for me, this idea of forgiveness. Because how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, I'll raise my hand because I've done this, <laughs> but how many of you have intentionally, intentionally hurt someone that you love? Intentionally said something that you shouldn't have said or did something that you shouldn't have done I will be the first to admit that I have done that to multiple people that I love over again, right? And what is the one thing that we hope for in that? Like when we come to the realization like, man, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Why did I say that? We hope for forgiveness. We long for it. We're like, I know I don't deserve it. But God, if there is any way this person could forgive me, please give them the power to do so. So there's this like need in us because we know how fragile and how depraved we are with our sin. There is this peace in us that longs to be forgiven for the things that we have done. I don't care if you're a Christian. I don't care if you're a Buddhist. I don't care. That's why in different religions, there's always a salvation element. You don't have a single religion that is like, oh, salvation is not a thing, right? And I think that's important because it gets at the need that's in the human heart. Though the, the types of salvations that are out there are not always true, but I think the need is there. We need, we feel a need to be forgiven. And David is reminding himself, God has the utmost forgiveness for you. Remember what you have in this salvation. You are forgiven all your iniquity not a license to do whatever you want. <laughs> Don't hear what I'm not saying. God isn't like, I will forgive you no matter what, even if you don't come to me and repent or whatever. No, 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 no. <laughs> God's like, no, 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 you got to repent. You have to realize that you've gone off and tried to do things in a way that I've not, I've not called you to and I've not, uh, I don't tolerate, right? But when we do do that, God is faithful and just to forgive us, for Sean 1, 9, right? So, forgiveness. David is reminding himself, forgiveness, right? The second piece that he reminds himself of is this idea of redemption, right? Verse 4, he says, um, hold on, wait, I lost my page. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. Redeems your life from the pit. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about death. The pit is death. He's not just talking about like a well that he fell into, which that'd be nice, like, God, please redeem me from this well that I fell into. No, this is a lot deeper of a well. This is death. And he says, you have redeemed me from the pit, from death. Now, what does that mean? Because redemption is one of those words that I think can become one of those like Christian lingo terms, like we say it, but I don't know if we really understand the, the weight of what we're saying when we talk about the redemption of God, right? So we're going to unpack it. Redemption has a twofold nature, and we're going we're gonna to look at this, right? The first way that redemption works in Scripture is this idea of buying back something that was sold or lost. So a great example of this is the book of Hosea. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Hosea. If you're unfamiliar with Hosea, Hosea was a prophet to the nation of Israel. 
right? And what God did is he told Hosea something very ludicrous. He said, Hosea, in order for you to be this instrument by which I'm going to illustrate my love for an unfaithful people that have left me to go after other gods, even though I commanded them that I will give them everything, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. That's what he tells them to, a prophet. He says, I want you to go and marry a prostitute, and I want you to love her with the love that I've given to you. And so he does. Hosea goes. He obeys the Lord. He goes. He marries a prostitute named Gomer, right? Broken woman. And he loves her. And they have children. And he is loving her in the way that God has called her to. She ends up going back into the markets and sells herself again. And in verse 3, or in chapter 3, God again comes to Hosea and tells him something very, very interesting. He says, Hosea, I want you to go to the market and I want you to buy your wife back. I want you to go where there, all this craziness is happening. And I want you to take the money to buy your wife back so that you can love her in the way that I'm calling you to love him. And this was to be an illustration of the way that God was going to redeem Israel after they have already abandoned him. This was to illustrate with Hosea's life, like, this is what I'm going to do for my people. I'm going to buy them back, right? This is like, again, if you've not read the book of Hosea, it is beautiful, right? This idea of buying, of redeeming, right? We see it applied to us in Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, there's this debate going on in heaven, like, who's worthy? Who's worthy to open the scroll? Who's worthy to open this? And they say, Jesus is worthy to open this scroll. Why? Because he purchased a people for God by his blood. What that means is that me and, me and you, though we were made in love to be in communion with God in the beginning, we went off and we did our own thing. We made our own kingdom. We said, I'm going to satisfy myself in my own ways. I'm going to go, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need God. And we've abandoned God. We've abandoned him and we've abandoned that relationship. And so what does Jesus do? What does God do? He sends his son, he sends Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the second person of the essence of God, dies for humanity as a way of purchasing them back like Hosea did for Gomer. We were the ones in the market. We went and we sold ourselves to things that will not satisfy. We went and we sold ourselves to things of far less value of what God has given to us. And what does God do? He doesn't leave us to die in a market. He buys us back. And so there's this beautiful idea of redemption in the gospel. And that's, that's what David is reminding himself of. You redeem my life from the pit. I deserve death. You buy me back from that grave. We, we just saying like, you turn graves into gardens. That's that picture. That's that idea, right? But the second uh, nature of redemption, so you have the idea of buying back or purchasing something that was lost or sold. The other idea of redemption is you have uh, judgment. Or not judgment. Um, what is it? Uh, what is it? <laughs> I just lost my... Deliverance, that's what it is. <laughs> I guess, you know, 
not judgment, but deliverance. So before we unpack the deliverance aspect, let's, let's look at a few Psalms. So Psalm 34, 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Where do we see that in the New Testament? Very popular verse, John 3, 16. Send his only son to die that no one would, what? Perish, but have everlasting life. We see that message of the gospel here in the Psalms. They won't be condemned. Psalm 56, 13. For you have delivered my soul from death. That word delivered can also be uh, translated redeemed. You've redeemed my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 49, 15. If you read the scriptures that Sam uh, encouraged us to read this past week, Psalm 49 was one of them. Verse 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, which is death. He will receive me again. Selah. So the Psalms talks about redemption a lot. But it also talks about deliverance. To be delivered, especially out of slavery, is how that term is used a lot. You see it in the beginning of Exodus, when people and the people of God are enslaved in Egypt, and God does what? He delivers them from their slavery. We see this also in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 6, when Paul is talking about our baptism in Christ, he says, sin will no longer have dominion over you. You are not a slave to sin anymore. You've been delivered. So there's this idea of deliverance. But we get it very, very clearly in the book of Colossians chapter 1. And this is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13 and 14. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Right here you have all of these aspects interwoven in Christ, in what's provided in Christ. He's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, from our sin, from death, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son where there is forgiveness and there is redemption for us. Again, the Psalms, deliverance is a huge theme here. Psalm 60, four and five, you have set up a banner for those who fear you that they may flee to it from the bow. That your beloved ones may be delivered, give salvation by your right hand and answer us. It's a plea. He's pleading, God, bring about your salvation. Deliver us. I just had the, I don't know if you guys have seen The Prince of Egypt. My wife plays that song. Deliver us. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Psalm 116, verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. Here, not only does he say it, like you've, you've delivered me from death. He's saying you've even delivered my eyes from tears. You've met me in my grief and you've delivered me out of it. You've delivered me from stumbling. Maybe I was in a temptation. Maybe I was tempted to do something I don't want to do or you don't command me to do. And you've delivered me from stumbling. That's this idea of delivering. 
right? And so when David is reminding his soul of the forgiveness of God and redemption of God, this is what he means. He's talking about the forgiveness that transcends anything that you could experience here on earth. The, the forgiveness that only God can give. And he's talking about redemption, this twofold thing where it's like this idea that God purchased you when you, you didn't deserve to be bought, right? We didn't deserve, we deserve death. And God purchased us back. And then in purchasing us, he delivers us from the things that were take, taking our life away. So he not only purchases you and then like, you know, leaves you there, but what happens when you purchase something? You bring it to you and now it's with you and you've removed it from that area, that thing, that store, and now it's with you in your home, with you. It's the same way with God. He purchases us, no longer in the dominion of darkness, but he brings us into his house, and he adopts us into his family. And that's, that's why this is called the good news. That's why this is called the gospel. So, you guys still with me? Yeah, it's, it's good, right? So, forgiveness, redemption. The last one is not very clear, but it's there. The last, the last aspect of salvation that David gets at is this idea of eternal safety. Eternal safety. Let me show you where he gets it from. Verse 15 onward, he says this. He says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. Its place knows it no more. So right now, right here, what, what David is getting at is the temporary nature of us. We're going to die one day, physically. <laughs> don't, I don't know what that is, George. <laughs> Save me. Anyways. <laughs> um, the temporary nature of us, right? The temporary nature of humanity. We spring up very quickly. I just had a baby. He's like... He's like, woo, he's loving it. But then we grow up, and it feels like a long time, but the Bible also says it's like a vapor, like that. All of a sudden, we are at the end of our life. And then he contrasts it with the eternal nature of God. He says, but the, but the steadfast love of the Lord, in verse 17, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. So how does this get at eternal safety? I'm going to die. You're going to die. That's just, some, that's, that's, that's just the reality of what our sin bought for us. We're going to physically die. But if we are in the Lord, and if we are in the salvation that he provides, we don't actually die. Our body deteriorates. Right? Our body like, no longer works and maybe is gone, but we don't die. Right? We are still alive. I would say, as Billy Graham said, if not more alive than when I was here. Right? So this is this eternal safety aspect. So Psalm 91, 1 through 2, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
Psalm 63, 7, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Psalm 51, or Psalm 57, verse 1, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until the storms of destruction have passed. What are these psalms getting at? They're getting at safety. When we come to the Lord and when we accept the invitation to dwell in his salvation, receive his salvation, not only do you get forgiveness and not only do you get redemption, but you get eternal safety despite what you experience here. So there's this book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. It is a account of multiple, throughout history, multiple people who have suffered for their faith and been martyred and killed for it. And in the book, there's this lady from the Middle East, and I'm not gonna get into all the details, but she is being tortured. She's in a dark room, she's being tortured. These guys are torturing her. And I mean, I can't even say the things that, that they are doing. But what's interesting is she says, Things like, I feel okay. Like, I don't feel this pain. Like, Jesus is here with me. Right? And think of Stephen, right, in Acts chapter 7, when he preaches the gospel, the Jews, the Pharisees, the religious leader of that time, they come up and they do what? They stone him. Stoning was a brutal thing. It was not throwing pebbles. <laughs> at someone. It was taking a brick and hitting someone over the head with it. That was stoning, right? And so they're doing this to Stephen, but what does Stephen say? He says, I see the Son of Man lifted high at the right hand of the Father. He's not paying attention to the pain that he's in. And so there's this, there's this thing that's happening where we experience persecution and we experience loss and we experience even death but we don't actually die. And it's because we are eternally safe in Christ. It is a gift that God has given to us. And so what the Psalms does to paint this picture is it uses terms like shadow of your wings or the shade of the Lord, things like that, right? God doesn't have wings. The Bible's clear, God is spirit. He's not a bird, right? But the Psalmist is using a very vivid picture to show this is safe here. From all the debris that are going on, God's wings are big enough to shield us from these things. It says things like, you are my refuge, you are my fortress, you are my hiding place. That terminology is used in the Psalms to highlight God's protective nature of his saints. Jesus will say things like, if you give your life for my sake, you will live. It's this paradox of like, if you die, you actually live in Christ. Why? Because you're eternally safe. The Psalms gives um, just a very vivid picture of this. Follows. Got it. <laughs> right? Again, this is important to us. Why? Because I'm willing to bet most of you lock your doors at night. Right? My routine in my house. Before, whenever I'm going to bed, I don't know. Right? I go to my door, I lock all the doors, 
I check all the windows, make sure they're all locked, and I set my alarm system. Why am I doing that? For kicks? Because it's fun? <laughs> no, sometimes I'm really tired and I don't want to do it. But I do it because I want to provide, as much as I can, safety for my family, right? Some of you have concealed carries or you have a gun in your home. Why? To protect, right? And so there's this, this need that we have of being safe, being safe. We want to be safe, despite all the stuff that's going on in the world. And that's why sometimes we watch the news and we freak out, right? I'm, I'm watching this stuff in East Palestine go on, and we're like, bruh, is this happening over here? Is this coming over here? Like, I want to be safe, right? And so, like, there is this need that we have to be safe, and it's a need that God meets in salvation for you and for me. So, this should, whether you're a Christian or not, or you're exploring, or whatever the case, online, if, you know, if you're not a Christian, you're exploring, or whether you're a believer, this should cause us to uh, be challenged a little bit, right? We should take note of this. Why? For those of us who have given our life to Jesus and we devote our life to Jesus, this is, this is how it should kind of impact us. Do you remember the way that J David starts this psalm? He notices a forgetfulness in his soul, and he says, forget not his benefits. So an assessment that you could do is like, man, have I, have I become complacent? Have I just gotten comfortable in this house called the Lord's or this family of God? Or have I gotten comfortable in this, this salvation that God has given to me, but too comfortable to the point where I'm not taking it and I'm not appreciating it and I'm not being fueled by it? I'm not being encouraged by it. Maybe I even start to despise it because maybe I'm like, man, I wish I didn't have to like be holy, right? I wish the pressure of holiness wasn't on me. I wish I could just do whatever I want and there was no consequences, right? Let's be real. Like sometimes we have thoughts like that. And what we have to do is do what David did. We have to recognize that that is something that's happening in us. Man, I... I'm, I, I don't see the fruit of this salvation in the way that maybe I should. Maybe I've forgotten the beauty of this that I first had when I believed. God, remind me. And David literally writes down the things that God has given to him. I would say do the same thing. Write them down. In your life, what has God delivered you from? In your life, what has he redeemed you from? Before Jesus, what were you involved in that he delivered you from? What was stealing your life away that he bought you back from and then gave you life abundantly? Write it down and remember it. And remind it to your soul and even preach it to yourself if you have to. If like thinking about it isn't enough, preach it. And then if preaching it one time is not enough, preach it again the next day. And then keep doing it until your heart is reminded because it will happen. And then for those of us online or here, whoever, who maybe don't believe in Jesus or we're not like walking in the way that we should with him, this should do two things. It should convict you and cause you to question, what am I, do I even care 
about salvation? Is that something I believe in? Do I actually know what is here, like what is, where I'm going to go when I die? But it should also encourage you because though we experience death and though we experience these things in our life, there is a God who is willing to redeem you and you don't have to do a thing for it. All you have to do is repent. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to build up enough things in order to be approved for it. All you have to do is accept the fact that you are a sinner and that you have gone this way and that Jesus is the one who can actually deliver you and then you repent and you go to him. That's it. That's it. And so that should, that's what Psalm 103 should do for us. God has provided this salvation in us, this forgiveness, this redemption, this eternal safety, and it should cause us to think about the ways that God has delivered us very specifically in our own lives. Amen. That's right, Gene. And everyone else is saying amen. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to read a uh, passage in Ephesians that I think talks about all of this stuff in one go, and it summarizes very clearly where the salvation is found. Because if you're not a Christian, if you, you, know, if you, if you don't know, or if you've forgotten, or if you've you know, left the Lord or whatever, and you are not convinced that God is able to provide this, the question is, well, where can I truly find this? And it's in Jesus, and it's only in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10, listen very clearly to what Paul says. This is just one of many of the benefits that are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to all the work that I've done for God. Nah. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven, and things on earth. This, this is the gospel. I mean, I don't know how else to, like I mentioned earlier, like the Psalms makes it very easy. <laughs> it communicates in a way that is very, very easy. It doesn't leave us with excuse of like, oh, I don't understand that. No, 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 it's very easy. You're a sinner. You've gone and you've rebelled against God. We've gone our own way. And without Jesus, we are dead. That's just the reality of it. But the hope is that God doesn't leave us in the market where we've gone and prostituted ourselves to other things. He buys us back. And the way that we are bought back is by repenting, is by recognizing I'm in the market. I've sold myself into this place that is just reaping death. That's no one else's fault but mine. God, would you please buy me back? And Jesus will do it in a heartbeat. And then for when he does do it, now that you are bought back and now you're in a home and now you are in the family of God, the, the, the thing that you do now is not like, you're safe now, you're eternally secure now, but 
the issue is that you're going to start thinking about the market again. You're going to start thinking about, it was a lot easier there. There wasn't all these rules. There wasn't all these, like I felt like I had more freedom there in the market. I could do what I wanted. And when you get in that place, what you got to do is you got to remind yourself of the benefits of salvation. You got to remind yourself that you were going to die without Jesus, with no hope. And that in Jesus, you are given hope and hope secure. So I'm going to pray, and then we will, I don't know if Matt's going to sing another song. Oh, no, 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 he's not. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. I'm not scared. <laughs> uh, we're going to pray. And um, I know, like, we got stuff that we're going to do afterwards. Like, there's a youth ministry luncheon that we're doing downstairs if you're interested. But if you need prayer, like, if you, if, I'm serious. Like, if you need prayer, if you're in a place where you're like, I don't see the benefits of salvation. I'm sorry. Like, I got to be honest. Like, I don't see how it's benefiting me, and I don't see how th this is actually working because it just feels like my life is a living hell. Right? If you're in that place, please pray. Please see, one of you, see me, see one of the elders. You can look for Tim. You can look for, I don't know if Phil's here, but look for Joe. Uh, Joe was the one who opened. Tim was the one up here singing. Uh, find someone. If you can't find one of us, find one of your fellow believers to pray with. Because God doesn't want you to walk out thinking and feeling like you're still in the market when you're not. Right? And so we need to gather together and pray together. But if you need specific prayer, you can see any of the leaders, see one of your fellow uh, believers. And if, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, then honestly, come and we will pray for you and you will have that opportunity because the gate is open. Jesus is the door. I was just reading that to Apollos this morning, right? So let me pray. Lord, we don't deserve your salvation. God, you are abundant in mercy and grace and love to people who did not love you, did not care for you, who left you and abandoned you. And we are and have been those people. We have in many times left you. And Lord, I just praise you and I thank you, God, that you forgive all our iniquities. You have redeemed our life from death. And you have provided for us eternal safety. Though we die, we don't die. Though we experience pain, you're going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be joy for mourning. God, you provide all of these things in your salvation. And I just pray, Lord, that you would mend the hearts that are struggling right now. The heart that is weary, the heart that doesn't see the benefit, the heart that is 
feeling like it's wasting away. Or that the relationship with Jesus is just, it's just not going anywhere. God, would you, would you remind that person of the benefits of your salvation? Would you, Holy Spirit, remind that person of your grace and your goodness, that though we don't deserve anything, God, you give us abundance tenfold. And for those of us who are in a good place, God, help us to not get so comfortable that we forget your benefits. Would you consistently remind us every day of why we're here? Consistently remind us every day of God, it's, it's by your grace and your grace alone that I am, even, I am even counted as one of your sheep, God. And so help us, I pray that that would just stir us uh, in our hearts, thanksgiving, repentance, love for you, desire for you. God, would you remind us of these things and may it rem- Uh, stir up in us. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, Otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.